0: Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope To Hear This podcast. Today we have a special treat. If you've been following the podcast, you may know Paul Hong as someone who's contributed to the podcast via voice messages for a lot of follow-up episodes. But today I finally have him on. Uh, I get to talk to him a little bit about who he is, what he does, and he gave me a book recommendation related to my previous episode. So we get to talk about that and just talk about division and diversity within the church so thank you guys so much for tuning in and i hope you enjoy hey paul we uh we finally have you on the podcast so yeah. um just a little primer for for those of you who don't know who paul hong is um he's been on several uh, episodes of this podcast but it's never really been a conversation. It's always been through voice messages um, and things like that. And we've actually never met in person.
1: No, I don't think we have. Yeah. Um, in
0: fact, uh, you, you live in... Uh, it's Dallas, Texas, right? Yeah,
1: Dallas, Texas. That's where I'm Yeah, and, uh,
0: right now. yeah I'm in Atlanta. So, um, mm-hmm. But we, we have a few uh, mutual friends because you, you used to live in Atlanta, right? Or in the area?
1: Yeah, that's right. I lived in Atlanta, I think, for... Um, a year and a half or two years, I think, back I Like mm-hmm. right after I graduated college, so it was like 2010 to 2012 or so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's 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 interesting though because we've never met while you yeah. were here. That's but, right. Yeah. Through mutual friends, you found the podcast, and yeah, you know, actually, yeah.
1: But before we start, I have to ask you a question. Okay. What did you eat for lunch today? For lunch? Yeah. Yes. See, I was in the office all day. I went out to go get. I eat. I eat out so much lately that. I think I'm getting things mixed up. Oh, I had Jimmy John's sandwich. okay Jimmy John's. Okay. Turkey well, for sandwich, the, bacon cheese, that's it. That's,
0: <laughs> that's just a throwback to uh, the podcast that Paul used to run.
1: Um, po- <laughs> oh, dude, I totally didn't get that. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. We're
0: on hiatus, so it's like
1: <laughs> It's so funny. Oh, yeah, man. it was
0: um, our lunch break, is what it was
1: called, right? That's right, our lunch break podcast. That's right. Yeah, that
0: I I was a huge fan. Um,
1: <laughs> well, you I, might have been one of the only ones. <laughs> no,
0: I, I I wasn't a. I'm I'm still not really a huge fan of the uh, NBA because I'm just not into sports. Mm. But like the theological talks mm. you had was really. Really insightful
1: so I, I, I know um, yeah, I'm I saying all this. more stuff. people listen to those th- you know oh yeah yeah more people listen to the theological ones than the NBA ones maybe yeah. our NBA talk wasn't very good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I'm, I'm sorry that was kind of a word vomit on my end because
0: I'm just so excited to uh, finally talk to Paul but before we get into kind of the topic at hand Paul um, I was wondering if you could just give us Kind of a, a introduction to who you are, um, what you do, how you ended up where you are, and, and all that.
1: Sure, sure, yeah. Um, man, how do I start? Well, I'm I'm originally from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I was born and raised in Oklahoma City, and uh, lived there my whole life, all the way up to college. And when I went to college, I went to I moved to Waco, Texas, where Baylor University is. And so I graduated from Baylor in uh, 2010 with a film and digital media degree um however right around the end of my time there despite having uh like grown up in the church and going to a youth group and stuff all my like my whole life um right around the end of my in my time at college i think that's when i like truly started to follow christ right um mm. and so that was like right before i graduated so it's kind of I guess in a human sense bad timing because obviously in a, you know in a you know, Christian sense it's never bad timing to be saved I suppose but um, but around that time because right after that it was just like something clicked in me and uh, the Bible was really the only thing I was interested in and mm-hmm. about trying to learn as much about it as I, as I could even though again just growing up in, in church and things like that um, and so it was it put me in a weird position of okay after I graduate what am I going to do with this film degree that I have and and uh, On one level, I didn't want to use my new interest and passion for the Bible as an excuse to not at least try to find a job within the film-slash-television world, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's when I started kind of like reaching out to some contacts I had in um, different areas. Uh, my, aunt, like my family's from LA so I reached out to my aunt if she knew anybody at her church that you know might be working in that you know Hollywood or whatever but I was actually more interested in TV and, it, and in Atlanta is where like um, TBS, CNN, Cartoon Network all those you know things are right. the headquarters are there and so I decided okay you know I'm more interested in TV anyway I'll see if I know anybody there and uh, my youth pastor in Oklahoma City had moved to Atlanta to help plant a church, Han Vision Church. Um, that's oh. where a lot of our mutual friends come from. Yeah. So uh-huh. Pastor Joseph Lee and the previous youth slash English pastor there uh, was uh, was my youth pastor, and so oh. I contacted him, asked him if he knew anybody at the church that they had planted uh, was working, you know, in CNN or Cartoon Network or any or just any connections. I was just looking for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but and he said no. But he said that they were like just starting like a youth internship program that. And so I was like, OK, that gives me a job out of college, <laughs> you know, straight out of college. I have a new interest in the Bible. And I just I just took it. And I just moved to Atlanta right after that. So that was mm-hmm. like I want to say that was like September of 2010, I want to say, um, like oh, fall wow. of 2010. Um, and so I moved there and I was there. I did. um I don't know if you've ever heard of YWAM Youth with a Mission. There's yeah. a mm-hmm. there's a base in. Buf- no, not Buford. Be- Beaver, something like that. Somewhere. Beaver ruin. A- I don't remember. Yeah, it was. It's somewhere outside of like a little on the outside of Atlanta, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I did a YWAM program. I guess that's like a six month program, a discipleship training school. And uh, I, I I lived in Chile, uh, Santiago, Chile for like two months, like you know doing missions <laughs> oh, there and cool. stuff. So that was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, going through that and going through that internship, you know, I met a lot of people. That's where I met. Uh, Blair and David um, Mm. Kim you know Um, and uh, a lot of those people who I don't know who still goes there or not honestly like uh, but and then and then I made like one or two trips back one time like after I moved away and then another time I think for Blair and David's wedding Mm. those were the only two times I I think I've been back to Atlanta but either way um, and that's when I started meeting I guess I I think I met Shirley I think your wife right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's where I met Shirley and uh, at a, um, I think some sort of worship night for raising missions or raising money for missions for like an That's India, right. going to India. That's right. That's, yeah, what it was. That's yeah. where I met Shirley for the first time. Um, and yeah. And so, yeah, Atlanta was like, a. it felt like a really quick two years. And I felt like during the, during that time was just like, could, because it was like right after my conversion, like mm-hmm. I, I had just like, like stunted spiritual growth almost like, and I went through a lot and I don't know if you know, like the history, of uh what went on at Hanvision. vision there was just some stuff like right before the time i left that like was not good um mm. and i think um even i mean i don't know if blair and da- if you know how well you know blair and david but like i technically have like only knew them for like two months because they came like right at the end of my tail end of my time there oh. and so it was only like two months but because of what we went through together during those two months we feel really there's some like kinship there that like uh, you know what I mean like suffering brings you closer together yeah kind of yeah. thing you know and so it was weird like because I remember going visiting like I don't know like a year later or like you know a little less than a year later and thinking like oh yeah I don't know them that well <laughs> you know what I mean like I've known <laughs> them like two months but I I feel close to them but at the same time it was like but I don't know them you know it was such a weird thing you know but um, yeah, you were close but, yeah.
0: enough to uh, go to their wedding so
1: yeah I mean they invited me so and I was happy yeah. to go out I'll go out there and they met my. um Then girlfriend and now wife, I suppose. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, yeah, it was it was really it's uh, yeah everything just kind of looped around there. But man, (laughs) I haven't been I haven't seen them since they had their babies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of wild. And then uh, let's see what happened. Okay, so yeah, in two thousand twelve, that's also so around that time when all that stuff was happening, when I was when I felt uh, I guess the call uh, to go into pastoral ministry, and Mm -hmm. so I started applying to seminaries and. Uh, the seminary that uh, my the the pastor my pastor at the time recommended was his seminary, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, right. Texas, and that's why I ended up moving back here. And so after all that stuff happened, I moved to Fort Worth, and uh, started seminary. And uh, yeah, I was in seminary for about four and a half years. It was that's actually kind of I want to say on the long side for the the Master's of Divinity degree. degree. Uh, usually, I think people if they just like you know, like push through, they can finish in like three, three and a half years, but Mm -hmm. it took me an extra year because there was some, I actually, so I I spent a year in Fort Worth, and then I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and spent a year at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, because my dad is actually a, a missionary, or was a missionary in China, and he was doing a degree through Southern. And he was helping me pay rent at Southwestern, but he needed to do on-credit cor- or, like, on-campus courses at Southern because that's where he was enrolled. And he was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to pay two rents, so you just transfer over. It's going to work out by anyway. So I was like, <laughs> all right. So, you know, and so I moved out there. He graduated in, like, one semester, and I was there for an extra semester before um, I went through kind of a dark season in my life there. And I decided I just need to get away from that. And so I just uh, moved back to Southwestern and finished my Master of Divinity at Southwestern. And so that was at in uh, so I finished in summer of 2016, and like right after I graduated, I got married to my wife uh, Anna, and uh, and right after I graduated, during that last year of my schooling, I was also youth pastoring, where I'm currently serving as the uh, the, the pastor for the English congregation here. Um, but I was a Great. youth pastor for a year before I moved to Southern California. <laughs> There's a lot of moving in my story. <laughs> yeah. I moved to Southern California uh, to do a pastoral internship for a year. So I lived in LA for the first year of my marriage with my wife, um, and we were there for one year. Uh, I finished the internship and came back and 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 kind of took this position here, as wow. the yeah pastor here. So I'm 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 working as part-time uh, English English-speaking pastor at my church which is a korean world mission baptist church but our but our our english congregation is called zoe fellowship gotcha wait
0: so the the seminary that you had transferred to for like a year with your dad where Mm -hmm. was that
1: that's in louisville kentucky
0: oh gotcha
1: yeah wow so you've really been to like all parts of the country huh yeah but you know i think the consistent theme is like Never more north of Louisville. Like, everything's uh-huh. been south. And <laughs> Atlanta, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, even southern California. You know, I think like mm-hmm, Louisville's mm-hmm. the most... Well, actually, technically, I guess, during my year I was at Southern, I actually took an internship, a summer internship, at a Chinese church in New York. So I was there for, like, three months. I lived in New York for three months. So maybe, I guess, that, I could count that. Wow. <laughs> so so uh, of all the places where you kind of resided, mm-hmm. where, do, where do you
0: uh, feel like you were most comfortable or where do you miss the most
1: oklahoma city because oklahoma. i mean you know what's funny is like I, I think about it now so i'm 31 now um i lived in oklahoma city like grew up there my whole life all the way up until i was i think uh like 17 or maybe 16 mm. um and and so i'm almost i've so technically speaking i still have lived most of my life in oklahoma city Mm. Um, and my wife and I, we actually go up and visit and we love, we love going there. We don't have any more like family ties there anymore. Like, and most of my friends who I grew up with all moved away. So we, huh. we literally go up just to enjoy the city. Like we have no other reason really to oh, go up wow. there. Yeah. Cause that's how much we, we enjoy it. And Oklahoma city has changed a lot since I uh, moved away. They've developed a lot. They got an NBA team now you know, and all <laughs> that stuff. So all that stuff happened when I was not living there, you know? So, um. But yeah, yeah, Oklahoma City still, I don't know, just still feels like home sometimes. I never feel unwelcome there. Yeah. Is there a large Korean population there? Um, no, I would say behind uh, English and Spanish, the most spoken language is actually uh, Vietnamese. There's a bigger Vietnamese population. So there's an Asian district in downtown Oklahoma City, um, and it's mostly mostly Vietnamese. But, you know, there's still Koreans there. There are like a, like a few Korean churches. And uh, and and like a, a few Korean restaurants and grocery stores too. But uh, I knew that when I was growing up um every time people needed to get groceries though people would drive down to dallas like three three and a half hours to dallas because oh, there was a, wow. there's h mart here there's a huge huge grocery store here so it has right. much more stuff than the small tiny kind of grocery store that like this one harmony ran you know yeah. <laughs> that was by herself you know like when we were growing up so which is crazy uh, i think sh- that 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 uh grocery store is still open which is kind of, wow which is wild even to this day though i don't think that harmony is working there anymore <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah
0: man that, that's that's funny how that works because. Atlanta is a pretty big. There's a pretty sizable Korean community here too. So, yeah. is it know like people,
1: second in the nation in terms of Korean pop? I want to say LA is the first, and then it's Atlanta. I or think Chicago
0: York? might be second. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I know mm-hmm. Chicago was really up there. Okay, um, okay. But the population in Atlanta is still growing. Um, yeah. Because of real estate, I don't think people really like going to LA anymore, because right. it's so expensive and it's, it's so expensive. I, yeah. And Chicago, the crime rates are so high. So I think Atlanta yeah. is like a nice little middle middle ground. Um, sure. But yeah, like we we have like joint uh, retreats here sometimes, and some churches mm-hmm. from uh, South Carolina, North Carolina come. And oh. when the parents come to pick up their kids, they're always like, "This is great because I can go shopping at the H Mart and then go
1: back." Up. <laughs> That's right. You have she's yeah. like on every corner. I remember. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Did you? <laughs> well actually i don't know i I know houston has a huge korean community but
1: that's right houston has i think they're more known for their chinese population they have like a big chinatown but Mm -hmm. yeah there is a lot there are a lot of korean people from houston i i know that for sure but
0: is is it comparable to dallas like is there a lot of
1: dallas is pretty big too though i don't know actually i want to say dallas is up there though like maybe top five or six in the nation mm. I'm not sure but it's a pretty big because again I think it's almost the same as the same reason people move to Dallas is the same mm. reason people move to Atlanta it's just there's a lot of land and it's cheap you know and right, it's, right. living costs are really low here so yeah I don't know so. let me ask you this because because you've been to LA and you've been in Atlanta
0: where would you say in America in the cities that you've been to has
1: the best Korean food oh you know what's funny? I'm not really a huge foodie. Okay. Like I thought it was. I was at one point. <laughs> but I just realized like like can can a foodie enjoy like 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 hot I don't know high class food. I don't know even know what to call it. You know what I mean? Like with the tiny portions and stuff like, mm. like I don't like that. I don't like sushi. It's like I'm mm. you know what I mean like if I think I think I've been you know ostracized from any foodie com- uh, community just for not liking sushi you know and I've I given it a good shot I promise mm-hmm. I went to San Francisco with a friend for like this big um, like pastors conference one time and he took and he was from there and so he took us to a very good sushi place and bought this huge boat of apparently very good sushi and I gave it a solid shot and it's just slimy and cold and it's not <laughs> it doesn't taste good enough for me to like keep putting it in my mouth so I was like yeah. Nah, I gave it my. I gave it a, gave it a shot. It's just not for me, kind of thing. Ice cream mm-hmm. is cold. It's good. I, I don't think fish needs to be like I don't need cold raw fish in my mouth. You know. So. <laughs> oh yeah, I can't I can't do that. So, gotcha. but yeah. Uh, but back to your question. Sorry, I went on a total. No, yeah. um, but if I were to say best Korean food, man, you know, La LA just has so many options. Mm-hmm. But but Atlanta is more convenient. Because they're closer together, more clumped together, I feel. Yeah. like, But I like. You know, I'll I'll pick. Oh, man, that's hard. That's a tough question. <laughs> I'll pick Atlanta because I'll pick Atlanta because I think you know I I have been to I I I went to Southern California my whole life just because um, most of my family's from there. Like my mm-hmm. grandparents on both sides of my family lived in L.A. Um, and so, like every summer I would go from Oklahoma basically to, to l a and you know stayed there. so um, and yeah, so i didn't I guess I didn't really get to go out as much, you know, then, because my grandparents cooked or my parents cooked mm. or something like that. you know, mm-hmm. um, but when I lived in Atlanta, I was like by myself, essentially. So um, you know, I could just try different foods and people would take me places. And so there's some yeah. really good like kogi places in <laughs> in, in Atlanta, yeah, for sure, um that I really enjoyed, I remember. so. Oh, yeah. yeah. I I yeah, I could pick I could pick Atlanta I think over LA. Cuz I know when I was growing up cuz when our family
0: moved to America, we we lived in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, we were there for like 6 years. That's right. But the, like the representative Korean food everybody in the country said was in LA. Oh, like that's, yeah, that's where true. you get the best Korean food mm-hmm. in America. But I think the talk is shifting now. I think Atlanta mm. the it's especially with the barbecue now, i don't know about anything else but the korean sure. barbecue in atlanta i think people are starting to say is if not exceeding at least um on par with what is in la so yeah. i just wanted to get because a lot of people don't believe me right because a sure. lot of people in atlanta they're like no i heard like la korean food is so good yeah, yeah. and just so they don't get disappointed if they ever try it i tell them hey our barbecue is pretty great too. you like, I don't think it gets yeah. any better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would agree. Just, I would agree. I
1: think.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I want to circle back to uh, something you mentioned early on Um mm-hmm. with, so the podcast that you ran, um, mm-hmm. the Our Lunch Break podcast. That's right. So it's not it's not over yet. It's well, just on hiatus. <laughs> That's what's
1: funny is, is so the reason why we're on indefinite hiatus was mm-hmm. because um, the time we wanted to start our second season, we had planned out what we were going to talk about, our episodes, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But um, man, we just both got really busy with work. So both of us mm. were working the same office. I worked uh, during that one year as um, a uh, manager for a bunch of uh, Metro by T-Mobile stores in Dallas-Fort Worth area, okay. and um, yeah, and and they were owned by a bigger company, and that's the. the com- I worked for the company essentially, mm-hmm. and so and he was working as a like a financial administrative uh, assistant or something, and um and and we know each, we knew each other from seminary. Both of us graduated from seminary from Southwestern. Mm-hmm. And so we're good friends and, uh, and we decided like we'll both have interest in the NBA. Uh, we obviously um, care about theological stuff, you know, pastoral ministry, things like that. And so it'd be cool if we could just kind of merge the two together. And that's how it kind of got started. And so it was really exciting at first. Um, and then it turned, and then we just got so busy. Like I, I think maybe it's just the holidays or whatever the case is like, and then I had a baby or mm. did I have a baby then? Yeah, I had a baby then, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. Uh, in August. And so like things just kinda got warped around where we just didn't have, we couldn't match up our times for, uh, cause we literally did it during our lunch breaks. And so we couldn't right. match up our times where, you know, if I had, didn't have to go visit stores or things like that, um, that, uh, that it didn't allow us to, you know, do it well in a way that we're mm. both happy with what we were putting out and so we're just like okay you know what let's just call it as we see it just indefinite hiatus maybe one day you know who yeah. knows who knows maybe one day we can bring it back um, he's still working there um, and you know I'm I'm just I'm, I'm pastoring right now and, and you know you know full-time daddying i guess right, right so uh yeah that's that's why it kind of just it kind of dissipated you know into the nebulous of podcasts gotcha. you know so unfortunately but hopefully you know maybe one day we can start it back up again
0: yeah i mean i well, from one fan i will say i'm looking forward to that i i didn't know if you guys were coming back or not so in oh. my mind it was just oh i guess they're done <laughs> but when you mentioned hiatus i was like oh i guess there's a chance <laughs> yeah. that it might come back
1: yeah, it's never off the table. Yeah. I mean, what I mean, what episode are you on now with your podcast? It's like 80 something now, yeah, right?
0: This I think this would be 86 or 87.
1: 86 or 87. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I mean, I remember seeing that and thinking like, wow, it's. I mean, it's almost <laughs> almost two years I suppose, or like a year and a half now. Then you've you've like every week put something mm-hmm. out, right? And I was just like, wow, way to be consistent. I wish I could do that, you know, have that (laughs) discipline and, you know, but, you
0: know, you know, one thing though is, um, so as of late, I've actually, so for the first year, I totally committed to once a week and Mm -hmm. I I made that commitment and I kept that up for like the first half of this year. Mm -hmm. Um, but with COVID, um, and quarantining and, you know, doing all the interviews through zoom and stuff, I actually found myself. Um, On some Friday nights, like having anxiety because I didn't have an episode ready for the next day. So that was when I called it. I said, "Okay, if I'm getting to a point where like it's affecting my mental health, then there's no reason to keep this like once a week. Yeah, because it's I'm not even it's a self-imposed
1: rule. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Right. Right. right? So um, I actually I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I never really addressed that. Like I just. It's for certain I think right now it's been like every other week for like the past month or okay, two, okay. um and so I, I never really explained why that was happening yeah. um but for for those of you guys listening, yeah, it was because um I didn't want to burden myself unnecessarily um and give myself anxiety yeah and, <laughs> for sure yeah and and i'm I'm also a new father, so wait your your son was born August of two thousand nineteen yeah Is that's it? right,
1: I think yours was born like a month or two before right
0: yeah yeah june june of 2019 okay literally a month before yeah so we became fathers at relatively the same time so even even with fatherhood you know like there are so many things that take a back seat now because being a father is oh yeah yeah so with that included i i totally understand you know like being a father um not having the time to record you know that's so understandable. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. How is so it? How,
1: how is how has been your first? I guess it's a little over a year now of fathering. Yeah. how has it been for you? It's you know I will say this: um,
0: the past few months has been really fun mm-hmm. um, because you know she started walking, she started like really understanding some of the things like me and my wife tell her to do and things like that, and yeah, yeah she yeah. she like reacts, she like dances and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like it's it's just it's so cute. She's like a little person now. <laughs> Has your has your son like started like babbling and talking and, and things like
1: that? No, oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You kind of cut out, so I didn't catch everything oh. you said. But yeah, I'm thinking you praised your daughter <laughs> for her cuteness. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: how how yeah. how's uh, how's your son? Um, is he like walking around now? Is he? Well,
1: actually, he's probably not walking. No. So yet, he. Right? Let's see. Not yet. He's, uh, mm. so he's he, like, we can like stand him up and we're like, you know, come to us and he'll like take, like totter forward and then fall on our laps and stuff. So um, he's getting there. He's really close. <laughs> um, the only word he seems to really, that we think has any meaning is mama, which typically I think every time he sees food, he just mm-hmm. mama, you know, and he just <laughs> does that over and over again. And it's really cute. And he's, he's an adorable baby, but like it's, you know what's really been hard for me is, um, Trying my best not to compare to other babies around the same age, Mm. especially with girls, because from what I understand, girls develop a little quicker than boys do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, we have a friend in California whose baby was born like a week before ours, Mm. and uh, this girl is so smart. She's like knows colors, can point, like she's answering phone calls and you know (laughs) taking job interviews and stuff. Like, she's so smart. She can walk already, all this stuff, and. You know, my my son is just like doesn't even know what Elmanapa is. You know, he's just like (laughs) he can't stand up or he can't fend for himself. So, yeah, I don't know. I just so it's so hard not to do the whole comparison thing. Uh, Mm. That's been the most difficult thing. But you know, when we're with him, like it's it's the greatest time ever. Like he's he's so cute and he's a very chill baby. He's a very good baby from what we. If that's the if I can compare to other babies that I've (laughs) that I've uh, that I've interacted with, he seems pretty chill compared to other babies. Yeah, so I'm happy. Yeah, and that's.
0: That's great. And, you know, I, I think I wonder if there is an effect of like the quarantine um, because you don't get to see many babies, but you see them through no. social media. But no. parents are only posting the the cool things that they're doing. So that's right. It like amplifies the oh is my. Yeah. But I, I feel you on that <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Like the comparison thing. But like I've I've kind of forced myself to let go and yeah. just,
1: you know. Everyone grows at their own speed. You yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you never seen like uh full grown adults still have issues that they never learned as a baby. You know what I mean? Like, you don't see, you don't see like, you know, full grown men in diapers, like who never figured out how to use a toilet and stuff. So it's like, okay, yeah, it's going to be fine, but it's going to be fine. they will just, they'll just learn it later. You know, that kind of stuff. So.
0: Yeah. that That's so funny. Cause like, yeah, you're right. Like no matter how dumb a person is, they still learn to talk. Right. <laughs> that's right. So, like, but then the parents who get stressed out that their baby's not talking yet. Like, yeah, yeah you're right. It's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah yeah but are you are you uh looking forward to a baby number two or do you you think you guys are done or
1: yeah so my wife right now is um she's taking she's uh doing a a master's in uh, marital counseling marriage and family therapy uh, at dallas theological seminary so we live on campus at dallas theological seminary um, and she's doing the degree there and so she will graduate um at the end of next year hopefully god willing and Mm. um yeah, and so we're hoping to time it around then because when we had Pascal, uh, he, we we had she it was it kind of the timing kind of landed perfectly where it was like right before school started for her, and so she, we were just able to say okay, you know, let's just take this fall semester off, and you just spend the you know five six months with the baby, mm. and then start up school next time, but. Um, I, I, I don't want her to do that again, like take another six months off and continue delaying graduation and stuff. Right. Uh, and so we're hoping to time it around then, but, um, you know, we know everything's in God's timing. We're trusting with it. So we're not, we're not like totally closed off to it. Um, having one sooner than that, but, you know, hopefully we can time it right. You know, where mm-hmm. hopefully by then, or Pascal by then has learned to walk and talk and for some <laughs> a little bit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so gotcha gotcha yeah how about you how about you and shirley
0: i'm so i'm for sure ready for a second baby oh wow um but shirley is in the phase of if i have to be pregnant for another nine months and have another baby like Mm -hmm. how am i going to take care of Aisley, our current baby right so like i think she's she's a little bit like She definitely doesn't want the age gap to be too big because, like, if we get pregnant like now, Mm -hmm. then it's going to be around two years age difference. Um, So we feel like soon is going to be the best time to do it. But she's still kind of a little bit uneasy about the whole. But and and it's it's funny because she says she doesn't want to divide her love between two babies, but then (laughs) you know what I mean. Like that's I think that's something a a lot of new parents struggle
1: with. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I mean, both of us, neither one of us having had a second child yet. Like, I guess we don't quite understand, you know, like what it's like to have two children. I guess that's something you know, David and Blair could, you know, yes. educate yeah. us on, right? Like, they already have two, you know. So, yeah. I mean, those those kids are so cute. I'm so sad I have not yeah. them. Yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're super cute. Yeah.
1: yeah. So let's
0: uh, let's shift gears a little bit um, to talk about kind of uh, uh, so. The last episode that I released it was um the ba- if you guys haven't heard it, the basic summary is um I was just saying hey let's if we have different convictions, let's not burden each other because by by saying your conviction isn't as passionate as mine and and cause division um that was kind of the the summary of what I talked about um but like you you had some feedback regarding that, and you actually recommended a book right. um it's called the conscience, um, and what it is and how to train it. Is that the full yeah, something like
1: that? I don't quite, yeah. uh, what it is, how to train it and loving those who differ. That's what it is.
0: Right. Right. And I, I, I read that after you recommended it, it's, it was a great read. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't quite finished it. I had the last chapter, the last half of the last chapter to go. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I think it's a really interesting, the, the theme of the book and the ideas in the book, I think, are things that aren't really talked about as much in the church Um, but i think it's really important especially during these times of you know quarantining and everyone just you know and just a lot of issues that have been popping up um and it's just yeah i don't know well first let me ask you this do you do you feel like there is division happening like within the greater like american or like the global church or is that just kind of just me
1: yeah, I mean, I guess that was really the um, the comment, or or I don't know if I should even call it a criticism of your mm-hmm. last your last episode was that, man, it's so hard to give generalizations about churches as a whole, because, um, and this is why you know you bringing up Francis Chan was such a good example because Francis Chan. Um, as much as I appreciate him, especially when I was younger in the faith, mm-hmm. um, and his passion for the word and uh, his love for the church, um, like as much as it is like looking back or looking at uh, you know his ministry now, it's like I realize like how much he kind of like puts all church like he calls it the American church, right? Mm-hmm. And my concern with that is that what you're doing then is you're clumping the American church together. Or I guess churches, individual local churches, together of all having the same issues and the same problems with which, in some cases, I can totally understand. Especially mm-hmm. when we have so much connection and access to one another that we've never had before, you know, these days. And so, um, and so when you when you say that the is the American church is the American church divided, um, I would say, well, yeah, I mean, clearly, obviously, but maybe not in the way that. Um, was addressed in the episode, um, mm-hmm. I, and I think in my comment that I had made the the voice message that I sent you, I think mm-hmm. I even said that there's some division that's good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that the book kind of addressed it when he. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember the the chapter and where he had mentioned. He talked about a theological triage. Basically, mm, yeah. Um, he had talked about. Uh, There're basically three tiers of the theological triage. Saying the first tier is like the most essential doctrines, and it do- and basically this is the division where if you don't believe these things, you're not a Christian. But if you do, then you are a Christian. And those are the mm-hmm. things that I think um, you mentioned uh, First Corinthians a lot. Those are the things that kind of are we're we're all united on the the American right. church, the global church. We're all united on the reality of Christ's. Uh, death and resurrection, that our sins are forgiven through faith through Him, uh, atoning sacrifice, grace, faith, all those things. Uh, we, all, we are all united in it. And that's what makes us quote-unquote the, the church, the universal church, big C church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, the second tier is kind of where like problems start happening. That's when other divisions start happening, where now we're talking about, okay, here's what defines a Christian in the first tier, but now we're defining churches in the second tier. And so how we do baptism, for example. So I'm, I'm Southern Baptist. I, I, I'm a pastor at a Southern Baptist church. And so we believe in what we call credo baptism or believer's baptism. So we're saying that if you're not a Christian, then you shouldn't be baptized. But if you are a Christian and if you have a credible profession of faith, um, then you should be baptized as soon as possible. Or maybe mm-hmm. there's some some people put in like a little intermediary time or whatever. But um, typically speaking, it's like if you're a believer, you should be baptized, and if you're not a believer, mm-hmm. then you shouldn't be baptized. Uh, and and that that division can be you know uh, up against uh, Presbyterianism, which is paedo-baptism. They believe that um, infants or children uh, they are part of the covenant community of the of the of the body of Christ uh, right from birth, and you raise them as if they are in the in the co- covenant com- community, and so mm-hmm. they have. Uh, th- like uh, what what they call covenant theology, which basically s- equates uh, Old Testament Israel with uh, the New Testament church. So the New Testament church is is like the replacement almost or the the fulfillment of what Old Testament Israel, everything that they failed at, Jesus fulfilled, and therefore the New Testament is now the n- the new Israel, quote unquote New mm. Israel. And so the old test old testament um, Old testament Israel, they they became covenant. Committed with God through uh, right, the rite of circumcision, specifically. And if mm-hmm. you look into Colossians, they make this—they ex- make a direct uh, correlation between circumcision and baptism. And so you circumcise infants, you know, in Israel, and so you should baptize infants because circumcision is now the new baptism is basically what mm-hmm. they're trying. Or sorry, baptism is the new circumcision. <laughs> new right, oh, no, right. Hopefully, it's not the other way. <laughs> <laughs> but baptism, is the new circumcision, right? As uh-huh. uh, in the s- same way that uh, the church is the new Israel, um, and so. And so they make that distinction because they have that system of theology. It, that's where we're divided now because mm. of theological issues like that. Um, and so that's what divides local churches, how they do polity, like how they govern their churches and how we govern our churches is, mm. is different. We have different theological convictions about that as well. And so right. and I think this is where a lot of the perceived division is, you know. And so mm. if if people are divided in these areas, that's OK. Like, I, like, that's not a bad thing. Like, I think it would be very hard for um, somebody who is Presbyterian to come into my church and they want me, maybe it's a family, right? And they just have a baby and they're like, please baptize my baby. I'm like, no, like no, I can't. You know, it's, yeah. that would go against my conscience, right? Like, that's, that's the yeah. idea. Like, I could not do that in good conscience. That would be sinning mm-hmm. against my conscience. Um, um, and and but if they were to you know ch- change their mind like truly like they learn about credo baptism and they actually start believing that then then we go from there and i could happily do that though obviously i still probably wouldn't baptize the baby but right, but you know right. like there's we we had a member who grew up in per- presbyterian church and uh he uh moved to dallas and started joining our church and you know he we went through a membership interview and he uh, eventually came around as like, yeah, I think I should be baptized again. I'm a believer, but I wasn't uh, baptized as a believer. So, and I think that's the right way. And so, and so we mm-hmm. baptized him. It was we celebrated together, and it was it was great, you know. And so, yeah, yeah that's why I don't want to clump the American church together. because there are some there are some divisions that are probably good, and I don't want um, uh, that to be confused with what's going on in society. And obviously, um, the, the concerning divisions would be things like politics. Um, you brought up uh, mm-hmm. racial tensions in the in the last that last episode, mm-hmm. right? So people having to be anti racist otherwise you are racist, right? Which I totally yeah. I totally understand, right? Um, and yeah, if if that's where things are getting di- divided, that's when start things start getting unhealthy. Uh, that's yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm really glad you you um, kind of mentioned that, brought that up because yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I think there are. So I wouldn't even call them divisions. They're um, just kind of segmentations of the faith, right? Mm-hmm. Where like different, um, yeah, dif- different ways of doing church. And, you know, it's like having that diversity is, is a great thing. Mm-hmm. You know, ha- and, and um, if you're a Presbyterian and you believe in like covenant, like what you were talking yeah. about with like the infant baptism and all mm-hmm. that, if you were don't be offended by that yet because we're gonna talk about um, the the book that and the book <laughs> covers the topic of conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hang please, please hang hang tight. <laughs> um, but um,
1: I hope uh, I represented yeah, I, Presbyterians I, well there. Like I am I I, <laughs> one of those guys that I like I hate it when I am misrepresented. So I hope I didn't misrepresent them. But but anyway yeah go yeah. ahead sorry.
0: <laughs> but but um as long as uh, people don't get the wrong idea we're not saying that the Presbyterians are wrong yeah. or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad you make the distinction of kind of, yeah, diversity and division. Um, mm-hmm. I think diversity is a very great thing. Yeah. Um, I, there, there are some people who even say things like, like, there is racism in America because different races do church separately. Um, and yes. I, I kind of see, you know, okay, like a little bit. But, like, I also really love going to a Korean church. Like, I also love... Like, worshipping with people that have the same experience as me. Because right. um, the Korean-American experience is so unique, yeah. you know? Um, so, I, in, in that sense, I wouldn't call that division. Oh. I would call, simply call that diversity. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like, for example, like, we're, we're very unique... Uh, or at least America is, and I would say probably a lot of Western civilization maybe is very unique in the sense that um, you have so many different ethnicities and cultures mm-hmm. like living in the same place. But nobody goes to a Korean church in Korea and be like, "Where are all the black people? You're racist!" <laughs> like nobody does that, right? And so you're not right, going to call right. like, why is that standard applied in in America? You know where? And now I would I would maybe say that. Um, you know, you maybe your church should reflect your neighborhood, right? Maybe, mm. maybe your community, especially. But if you live in Koreatown in Georgia, then it makes sense that you know that your church, mm. or there are a lot of Korean churches in Georgia, which specifically, you know, Korean-speaking people, and you're not going to expect. Um, you know, whether a black person or a Mexican person to walk into a Korean church in, into the middle of a Korean service because they don't speak Korean, yeah. and it's really hard to, hard yeah. for them to understand the gospel and um, and be uh, and be sanctified by God's word. You know, because they can't understand it. You know, so mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I, I totally feel you there. I think there's a big um, there was this big push in the last I want to say like maybe ten year ten or twenty years for like multi ethnicity multi ethnic churches. And it made mm. people, a lot of pastors, especially like, um, you know, a more like ho- homogenous cultured churches, right? Uh, to kind of feel left out of the thing and think that like, oh, you know, we live in America, but we don't have any white people or black people or Hispanic people in our mm. congregation. So how, are we not following the Great Commission? You know, they, they start like doubting themselves and feeling guilty when it's like, no, 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 you speak Korean, so it's okay, like then you should reach out to Korean yeah. people, you know like and because guess what right. there are Korean people in America who don't speak English either and they can't go to American churches, and so they mm-hmm. or they don't speak, they don't speak Spanish so they can't go to Hispanic churches, so they should find a church that speaks their language and you know f- find the community there and it makes sense I think it, it actually just makes more sense to me that that Korean churches yeah. are Korean, and Chinese churches are Chinese and so on and so forth yeah, yeah. and but even beyond just language too, I
0: think as a korean american Mm -hmm. i because i have attended you know like events at american churches and i've i've attended services at american churches as well but there Mm -hmm. is something unique about worshiping with people who know like who know the pain of going to school in elementary school and stinking up the cafeteria with your korean food and everyone staring (laughs) at you like you know there's like shared experiences that they would have no idea of um, oh, man, there's yeah, just something totally. special about that. And so, but I mean, I, I don't think any, you know, Korean American church out there is saying if you're not Korean, you cannot attend their service. You know, like, exactly. I, yeah, yeah we're all open. Um, it's just like we are comfortable like in, in like with being with people that we have commonalities with. And right. frankly, like, if you're black, Mexican, white, you might not feel comfortable in our congregation, no matter how welcoming we, you know, try to be, you know. Yep. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's why I think diversity in, in the churches that we have is is so great because, mm-hmm. you know, you can truly find a place where you feel like you belong and, and worship freely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so true. But um,
0: I, I want to cover the the idea of, of a conscience, though. Yeah. Because... Um, Um, I think it's so important because there are a lot of people on, it's on two two sides of the spectrum. Some people who think the conscience is the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so they say, well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So that must be the Holy Spirit telling me that I can't do that. And then there are other people on the other side of the spectrum saying, well, the conscience is from my, you know, broken and sinful body. Mm -hmm. And so everything that it tells me, Probably isn't aligned with what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell me, so I'm gonna ignore everything that my conscience is telling me. Okay. But the the book really opened my eyes to the fact that the conscience is a gift from God, yeah. right? And it's something that needs to be calibrated to God's truth. Yeah. Um. And and yeah. So you, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what the conscience is and how.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, in
0: the context of what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like what what you said earlier, like for you, it's like it's not talked about enough. Right. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. Like I literally had never this book was like paradigm shifting for me because Mm -hmm. like it kind of it kind of like confirmed all like Mm -hmm. the feelings of maybe guilt and shame that I had that were like totally unnecessary. You know what I mean? Like it felt that way. I was like, oh, that's the conscience. Like I have a name for it now and I I can kind of understand how it functions now because of this book. Right. Um, And so, yeah, like this book, Conscience, um, in the book, it says this and I actually wrote some notes down. um, Conscious is, it's a human capacity, so all human beings have a conscience. Um, it reflects the moral aspect of God's uh, God's image, because all people are made in the image of God. Uh, it feels independent. So I think they use the illustration of like Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket. Like everyone has this, it feels like this other person, like telling you yeah. what to do, right? Um it's also a priceless gift from god what you said uh it wants to be an on and off switch and not a dimmer which i thought was a fascinating mm. insight because that's really what it feels it automatically feels like oh that's not right like you know and, and it's never like is it right you know it doesn't like you know it's not like that so um and then the conscience and maybe the biggest thing that it uh, like argument that's making is is that it's for you for every individual like it's for you and you mm. alone like it's not it, it uh, everyone has their own conscience and you can't force your conscience upon somebody else and they can't force it on, on you, you know? Right. Um, so that's kind of what that is. And, and it tells us basically, it's basically, I think some people put it, um, it's like pain for the soul essentially. Cause what pain, pain sometimes as much as we avoid it and hate it, it's good for us cause it tells us not to do the thing that caused us pain. Right? Like mm-hmm. if don't put your hand on the stove while it's hot. Right. But if you leave it there, it's going to burn your hand off and you could die. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what the conscience is. It's the thing that tells you stop putting your hand on the stove. And um, but what's so interesting about the conscience? What this book covers is that, yeah. But because we are broken and sinful, uh, it, the conscience isn't always right about certain things, and it needs to be exercised, cal- recalibrated. Um, it needs to be worked. It needs to. It needs practice so that to get yeah. it right. Um, and 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 basically, he basically goes over two the two like huge principles of conscience which is that number one you should always obey your conscience as much as you can in every situation if you uh if your conscience tells you to do something or not to do something you should listen to it Um, but the second great principle is that god the lord is or god god is the only lord of the conscience so what that means is Mm -hmm. that okay some because your conscience is broken right and it needs to be recalibrated what is the tool for recalibrating it it's god's word it's just truth. Mm-hmm. And so whatever God says is right uh, and wrong, if your conscience disagrees with that, uh, you're the one who has to adjust, not the Bible, not God's Word. Right. Okay? Um, and yeah, and so that, and it just tells, it basically, uh, the book goes through how, um, how to do that, how to recalibrate your conscience. And then, and then what to do if your conscience conflicts with the conscience of another person or even another culture like cultural customs and those things and that's where things get like super complicated super interesting um i mean i think it's really helpful especially working in a korean like a church that also has a korean ministry right and like we're there's always like tension you know there's always that perceived tension between km and em and that whole history and things like that um and something like this is super helpful because it kind of i would argue because we're as, as maybe um, people like you and me, second gens, 1.5 gens, who kind of grew up in an, uh, the American culture, like that, that it feels like we have what the book calls the stronger conscience, right? Like mm. in the sense that we should be more open, we should be more free, uh, we should be more sacrificial towards the people we, who we perceive as maybe our, you know, the, the previous generation who seem to be more strict or more conservative yeah. than us about certain issues, right? Um, and so we should be the, the ones to be like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Like, we'll do it. I'll wear a right. suit and preach. Like, that's fine. You know, I can do that. You know, right. like uh, if it really bothers you that much. OK, fine. Uh, if, if it bothers you that I'm wearing shorts and a sandals while I preach, then OK, I'll stop wearing that. You know, like we should be able to do that. <laughs> it feels that way when I when I think about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the really interesting quote from the book was your conscience cannot make a wrong thing right, but it can make a right thing wrong. Yes. And I wrote that quote uh, what, down too. It was a good quote. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, "Whoa, right?" Um, and the idea is that if there, if someone else's conscience, like like you were talking about, um, if someone else's conscience forbids them from like attending church in like shoddy clothes, mm-hmm. um, where they have to wear a suit to church because that like represents their outward show of worship for them. It Would be a sin. Well, I don't want to call it a sin, it would be wrong for them to go to church in like basketball shorts and a t shirt, sure, because their conscience is telling them that they must do so. But for someone like me, it sounds like for me and you, like it doesn't matter, like there's like your, your worship is not in what you wear, mm-hmm. so like we're not bound by our conscience to dress that way to go to church, exactly. but um, it but like the, that division, um, like the bad division that we were talking about can happen when people of differing conscience kind of clash in that way. Yes. Right. Yeah. And one uh, interesting illustration was one of the authors lives in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Right. And he talks about how he has like a mango tree in, on his property. Oh, yeah. And in America, you would never think that someone can just come and get like a mango waffle tree and eat it. Yeah. Right. But in in Cambodia, the culture allows for like it's Cultural, like people can take fruits, like m- maybe not harvest the whole thing, but they can take, like it. It's like common courtesy to allow other people to, you know, just pick a fruit off a tree, you know, even if it's on your property. And so, um, right, that person, right. the the author, could have, you know, there could have been a fight or something that happened in that. There could have been division happening because of that. But he had to realize, mm-hmm. oh, this, like my con- like my conscience isn't calibrated to the culture here. Um, so like, that's mm-hmm. where, um, that, like he had to realize and he had to recalibrate. But I, I thought that was really interesting because how often does something like that happen to us in our everyday lives without us really knowing yep. that it's happening? Cause we don't know about the conscience. Right. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I, I think, right, uh, exactly. yeah, I think it's really important because you you should fill me in on this because the last chapter is about how to deal with people with differing conscience right I, I, no i think it was cross cultural um, yeah yeah cross con- cultural yeah. so like when we find ourselves like let's say that in our church when we find ourselves talking to someone and we don't seem to align mm-hmm. um on kind of the third tier um truths i guess or whatever you yeah, want to call third tier issues no, no. yeah like what what would what is something that we can do practically speaking to um navigate those disagreements
1: yeah it's a good question um you know it might help like so i i read this book pretty recent so i'm like still like absorbing it and trying to figure out what it looks like in reality and trying to be conscious of it you know (laughs) like of when Mm -hmm. i'm actually calibrating my when it's actually being active and stuff but to your question i think maybe one of the first steps to do is to understand okay who has the weak conscience and who has the quote unquote strong conscience here right Mm. so so in the in the case that you brought up and that was in the book about the um the american guy who lives in cambodia a guy comes in into his yard basically and picks Uh, Picks a mango off the mango tree that that the American guy has been growing and he's like, what are you doing? This is my property, right? Mm -hmm. But in this case um, The American guy is the one with the weak conscience He's the one who's more conservative more strict and he has he has a stricter conscience about um, About property private property, right? Whereas in Cambodia Mm -hmm. if you have an open yard and you have a visitor who just walks there You're you're supposed to be able to just take their fruit, you know, like that's not a big deal And it's not against it's not a big deal for somebody to do that or allow that to happen and so in that case he identified, oh, I have the weaker conscience here, right? And I need to change my conscience in the, in, or in the sense of like, okay, um, it, it has to be calibrated where he is able to do the thing that he was there for, which is I think he was there as a missionary. Um, and yeah. that's his whole point in the end uh, is that how, like, in the end, we have to strengthen our conscience so that we can be all things to all people as the Apostle Paul was. Right. That's mm-hmm. that was how the Apostle Paul was. All things to all people. They adjust. He was able to calibrate his conscience whether it was to Jew or Gentile. He adjusted because it didn't matter to him. Because the idea was, okay, my message is the gospel, and so whatever gets me there, I'm fine with. You know, as long as it doesn't, you know, uh, lead me into sin or go against my conscience, um, I'm going there. It's fine, and it shows the strength of his conscience. You know. Um, yeah, so it, I think it helps to identify when you're, when you're in a situation where it's, it's a cultural or preference issue to try and figure out, oh wait, okay, who has the weaker conscience here? If I'm the one with the weaker conscience, then I have to strengthen it and so, um, so that I can be a, a conduit for the gospel. But if mm-hmm. the other person is the weaker conscience, the motivation is the same in that I want to, you know, be a conduit to the gospel, for the gospel to, to this person. Um, but then it might mean that I have to abstain from something right that that right. I think uh, that I think I deserve or I have, I have freedom to uh, to participate in you know so I think that yeah. Yeah, that might help like seeing where you are where you're at yeah, in this situation
0: yeah I, I'm glad you defined that for us um the weak in the strong conscience mm-hmm. so just to reiterate a weak conscience is typically you're more conservative mm-hmm. like in the the wearing a suit to a church example right person who thinks that you must wear a suit to church is a person with the weaker conscience mm-hmm. Um, but the person who is okay with whatever is has a stronger conscience right so yeah i I think the book talks about it a little um the person with the weaker conscience must strengthen their conscience but um that also includes not judging exactly that judging the person with the the stronger conscience Mm -hmm. because that that's typically what happens right when you feel like something is right and for you it is right like to wear a suit to church it's right for you but Mm -hmm for you to see someone who doesn't wear a suit to church and say that person is a sinner because they're not wearing a suit to church, like that would be right. incorrect. Yeah. Th- that would be yeah. um, where so you So I would say f-
1: typically speaking. Mm. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Finish with that.
0: No, no, I, I was just saying that would be where you need to um, recognize that you guys have different conscience. Um, there are things that your conscience allow, does not allow mm. you to do. By that person, it allows them to do do that thing, yeah.
1: Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and I think um, typically speaking, if you, I mean, if, I don't know if the listeners, how um, how well they know their Bible and culture and stuff like that, but typically um, how the book put it was that, the, for example, the Pharisees uh, in the Bible of Jews, they're the ones who typically had the quote-unquote weaker conscience, um, mm-hmm. while the one with the stronger conscience were typically the Gentiles. They felt more free. They're the ones who... Um, we're more paganistic, you know, things like that. So um, they and and the overreach on both sides is that if you're if you have a quote unquote weaker conscience, it means that uh, you're more, more prone to legalism. You're more prone to bind somebody else's conscience with something that's not necessarily um, sinful or wrong. Um, but in the other direction is that if you're more free, you tend to be more lawless, like you're more uh, in the world and you're more because f- you're like dipping your hand in everything, you know, and you're and you're OK yeah. with it. Right. And maybe it's not wrong, but it. Sometimes gets to the point where it is wrong, um, because you right. think you're so free that you can you can do it. And so that that was the issue with uh, the people in the Corinthians were like you know they were in tons of sexual immor- immorality and they were like supporting each other in it you know like things like that. And I was like oh no that's that's not freedom in Christ <laughs> like that's that's right. just straight up satanic. You can't be doing that you know like uh, so yeah that's that's exactly I think the point. There's a weak conscience and yeah so on so forth. So.
0: Yeah and there's a we mustn't forget that even with a stronger conscience, if your conscience is going against what's in the Bible, exactly, then that's not having a very strong conscience, that's just exactly. straight up being- Exactly, so you're just straight up like, <laughs> like
1: disobeying God, yeah. <laughs>
0: right, right. So, and you know, this is really helping me personally, mm-hmm. um, knowing that everyone has a different level of conscience mm-hmm. because now it gives us the tools to kind of understand each other. Yep. Right. Um, there's grace in that right Mm -hmm. knowing that like if you have stronger conscience like you know maybe wear a suit to church if someone with a weaker conscience really has an issue Mm -hmm. you know like there it doesn't hurt you Mm -hmm. right but you don't but you don't have to like be prideful in that situation Mm -hmm. and say well our theologies are too different like we we must split we must divide like that doesn't need to happen Mm -hmm. we just need to understand what the conscience is and how it is for everybody so that we can, you know, make little calibrations for each other while we're both working to calibrate toward, you know, God.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And that's called what what Paul calls loving each other. That's what it is, right? (laughs) Like the the one with the weak conscience to love the brother or sister with the strong conscience is like, okay, I disagree with him in this. Um, I feel like that's wrong, but that's just me. And I know it it might just be me. It's something I grew up with. Um, So I, but it's okay. Like he's going to work his own thing out. I still love him we can still go to the same church right on, on those like third tier issues and for the right. strong conscious on that other side looking at that is like oh like in order to love this person like if, it, if i'm like keeping him from uh loving jesus more then i'll wear the suit you know like or i'll not eat the meat that was sacrificed to idols you know things like right. that yeah for sure for sure yeah so um it really helped
0: me um reading through the book once again it's called uh conscience what it is how to train it and
1: loving those yeah, who I differ.
0: A, yeah. Yeah. Loving those who differ. <laughs> yeah. um, it actually really helped me to read the book along with Romans chapter 14. Yeah. Because um, that's the chapter where Paul really talks about can you eat meat that was sacrificed to idols? Right. Can you not? You know, um, so yeah, I definitely, definitely recommend you guys um, checking it out um, if you guys are struggling if if you're finding yourself you know breaking fellowship with fellow church members on things that aren't really like crucial truths of christ um then maybe we need to maybe you need to you know evaluate and learn more about the conscience to to try to see if it's something that's avoidable Mm -hmm. because we don't we would hate to see division for trivial things right again but but that is to say though um We we don't want to confuse division with diversity, um, which was your kind of um, the original point that you were you were responding to my podcast about. Right,
1: and 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 you know what's funny is I was thinking about today as I was kind of just like thinking about you know this podcast and stuff was the the issue you brought up in your previous podcast about um, racial division. Um, mm. and what people going, what we're coming to see as what is like systemic racism, for example. Mm-hmm. The, what's so complicated about that and in trying to apply what was in this book to it is that yeah. it's a matter of, well, I think, so I think this is where Christians are sort of split on this is that does, does systemic racism exist or not? That's, that's the mm-hmm. question that is causing the most like tension and division, right? Um, because if it does exist, and it is and it exists in the way that seems to be being portrayed, right, um, or being perceived, then it does mean that, oh, maybe maybe a lot of us have to repent of some form of racism, whether we're, mm-hmm. we're, whether we're conscious of it or not. Um, but if it doesn't exist, then we're being told we're guilty of something that we are not guilty of, which is mm-hmm. also not good, right? Uh, we're binding the conscience at that point. Um, yeah. And so yeah, so it really comes down to like, and that's where it gets tough because I think some people, um, some Christians would say this issue is actually worth leaving a church over, and maybe finding mm-hmm. another church who agrees, and so then mm-hmm. it's becoming a second tier issue instead of a th- what might we what we thought might be a third tier issue, right? Because at what, this point right. we're uh, dividing churches here, which there are churches who think systemic racism does exist in America, and we, are, we all have to figure out how to uh, repent and um, fight for justice and, and truth, right? Um, and, but the other half doesn't think it's it's an individual thing, and if individuals uh, show racism of any or bigotry of any kind, then yet those people specifically, maybe those policemen, uh, maybe those certain, maybe a certain president, um, has to make it very clear that he is against this and repent and mm-hmm. find out ways that they can better themselves re- and better themselves in that area, um, and that's what's so tough. And especially as a pas- pastor, yeah. like I'm trying to figure this out too, because you know, in most in Texas, for example, it's. Um, like people a little more conservative um and so that means they typically lean more towards the side that um no it's an individual issue everyone needs to work it out on their own kind of thing and nobody can tell me that i'm a racist when i don't think i am um Mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe some you know maybe in southern california or um you know more quote unquote liberal uh liberal cities or states um where they think no it's clearly systemic like it's all over the place. Like it's in, uh, and it's happened because it's throughout history, Jim Crow era, all those things, right? Have it, it's all the cumulative effects of uh, racist history. We're seeing it now, though. We though even if it's not written in law, it's in people's attitudes, mm. their uh, subconscious um, reactions to you know people of different skin tone and things like that, right? Uh, and that's why it's so complicated, and it needs to be really done with a lot of wisdom and uh, humility in order for us to really figure out, okay, how do we how do we do this where um, and and where do we put it is it a, is it really a secondary issue or is mm. it or is it something that we like we can actually a person who believes in systemic racism and a person who doesn't believe in systemic racism can attend the same church and love each other still in in, in unity right so right yeah, it's tough yeah i know for sure
0: for sure and i personally so i don't know you tell me what you think i personally think it's a third tier issue Mm -hmm. oh well oh let me take that back i i I don't so the division that i'm seeing um is like i don't know that many people around me who are straight up saying racism doesn't exist um Mm -hmm. i mean it differs a little bit on kind of the degree of racism but there's no one out there Mm -hmm. who like for example i don't know a single person who saw like the murder of george floyd and said mm-hmm. racism doesn't exist you know everyone saw that and everyone knew like oh, man that police officer definitely like he was wrong like, he there was probably mo- racially motivated um but the, the vision that i've seen happen is people saying like racism yeah racism is bad so i'm gonna do x y and z but you not doing x y and z tells me that you're not anti-racist right you know what i mean like the outward expression of the convictions that you have like people are you know judging someone's character and morality Mm -hmm. based on what they're doing and i kind of get why why people would do that but then at the same time like as a human being you don't really have capacity to do all things right Mm -hmm. um so when I see somebody who is more concerned about missions, for example, than what's happening in America, like, mm-hmm. I don't I, I would hate for someone to see that person and say that person is a racist because they don't care about what's happening to the black Americans like, mm-hmm. here in the States. Yeah. Um, and so like that, that's the kind of thing that I think I was really talking about in the past uh, podcast. And yeah. I think those things are definitely like trivial. and that, like third level like they're not they shouldn't be like leave church kind of issues that's my personal side
1: right right yeah and and you know with everything that's going on and, and you know the anti-racist thing um I, i'll be honest in saying that like i am perceiving anti-racist for what it says that you don't that anti-racist are people who are uh, I, like, hate racists, basically, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know if that goes hand-in-hand hand with, like, cancel culture. Um, but mm-hmm. I'll say that if if it does, I don't know that cancel culture is, is a Christian ideology. If if I know what mm-hmm. it is, okay? And I'm saying that, like, disclaimer, I'm basing it off really what, what I'm seeing in my hands. I didn't, like, read articles and study up on exactly what anti-racism is and cancel culture is. But from what right. I understand it to be, based off of what I've heard and things like that, um, yeah, that's there's no grace, there's no mercy mm-hmm. in that, there's no forgiveness, um, and uh, there's no end to it on one level, right? right. And uh, yeah, so at some point, um, when when people are going to the point where it's like, they're judging your morality and character, like at that point you are talking about like, um, or those people are talking about, okay, do you see, um, I think, okay, so let me start over. I think it yeah. is, um, uh, the the issue of if you believe in systemic racism or not, I, mm. and, and I think it does go back to that because if it does go back to systemic racism, and what that means is that the cumulative effects of racist history has shown up in our subconscious, whether we are aware of it or not, right? Um, then, then yes, then it is something we must repent of, right? Because it's sinful, mm-hmm. and if we're aware of it now, like if we've been exposed to the reality that oh man, I do, I'm I maybe I may be racist. Right. And I have mm-hmm. to kind of root those things out in my heart and you know, like reeducate, recalibrate my conscience about this, you know, about this. Right. Um, and right. in that case, it makes sense. I think that it maybe is the right trajectory to go if systemic racism exists. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it, it does in almost become a second kind of second level thing where it's like we do have to figure out how to do this. Right. right. Um, but yeah, if you are a person who doesn't believe that systemic racism exists, then, then it doesn't make sense to you. Right, mm. like no, I'm not guilty of this. Like, why am I, why am I being, why are you questioning my character and morality and um, things like that? Um, and, and it's because people who believe in systemic racism don't see as as like a cause, like missions or um, mm. uh, like collective effect, right? Christine Martinez, like that, yeah. that that's that's like a cause that like nobody would be against, right? But is everybody mm. jumping on the boat because it's like if you don't care about uh, children in Africa, then you hate children in africa like that's not right right? right. so it's not it's not sinful that god hasn't called you to that way but um for and for if but if you believe in systemic racism then it 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 isn't like just a cause it's like a Mm. like it's a matter of sin it's a matter of judgment and justice um have we been without maybe unknowingly oppressing people are with our whole lives because of through our attitudes microaggressions you know all those all those things that come with with knowing that systemic racism exists right Uh, and that's what's again so tough about about this is because because maybe you don't see it uh, you maybe you see it as a as a cause or something like that and so it it, I can uh, you can understand why somebody who is really passionate about it is offended by it's like wait why wouldn't you repent of sin if you're a Christian, mm. you know, why wouldn't you care mm. about your neighbor, like loving your neighbor like that, right? Mm. Um, yeah, and, and it, it, it's super complex because you're not even coming from the same, like, you know, tier at this point. And you're seeing right. it from a different angle, like, altogether. And that's, that's why it's, you have to be super sensitive, super wise. Um, humble and, and and think through it really well. And I, I don't personally have a an answer or a position. Um, I'm just keeping my ears open as much as possible, trying to listen to stories. Um, and I understand how hard it is to prove like systemic ra- racism, and so mm. I think I'm trying I'm trying my best to at least listen. It seems like it's, it's like we see videos so often now. You know, in Dallas there right. was a lot of happenings like that too. Um, and so, mm. yeah, it's tough, man. And 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 like this. Um, understanding the conscience a little better and trying to realign it to God's word. Um, yeah, that's gonna be really, really important, especially this election season. It's such a divisive time, I think, just in general, not yeah. just within the church, but America in general, i say, yeah. For sure. Yeah,
0: yeah I, you know, I would say this. I will say that if someone says that, you know, I don't care about racism. Mm. I think racism, like, I, I don't even know if it's real or not, but I don't care to do anything about racism. I think that's fine then i think that that might be like a second right. tier, maybe even a first that's tier a point issue. of first tier
1: issue i would say yeah
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i think if that's the situation yeah sh- sure like you need to have that talk um that's racism is sin yeah. right but when it comes down to yeah, like labeling people certain things because you perceive them as such without really knowing their heart i think that's when it starts going down Like, that's the kind of division that I I hate to see. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. So, yeah, no, for sure, it's a, you know, it it is a complicated issue, Mm -hmm. but the uncomplicated factor in all of this is racism is bad. Mm -hmm. If you see it, you do something about it. Um, But to say that because your convictions and your passions towards ending racism is, you know, or like, civic activity is more than someone else's to say that they don't care about racism issues i think that's taking it one step too far right right yeah gotcha yeah but but again I, I think the the relevance of the book is if you really begin to understand like weaker conscience and stronger conscience then i think it opens you up to have more grace to people that aren't really doing the things that you're doing or doing the things that you feel like is a super important right. things like that. right yeah yeah that's good but but yeah man it's it's such a it's such a hard issue because yeah. Um, yeah it's very difficult time yeah um, for sure <laughs> yeah uh-huh. no but um man I really appreciate you coming on and helping us uh, like kind of digest that yeah. um, first first of all introducing us to the idea of of a conscience mm-hmm. and um, and even how to kind of navigate Relationships with people of differing conscience, right? Because um, um, we might not have had to do that before, but for sure now it's, it's something that I think is super relevant yeah. to, to Christians. Christians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, I'm sorry, I'm I'm eating up so much every time. It's already like, no, it's an it's hour really okay. I mean, million, I'm so. I'm
1: in a different time zone. It's not even nine yet here for me. so. Oh, okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah.
0: Well, um, yeah. Bef- before though, um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask if, if there was anything that you wanted to talk about that that we didn't get to cover?
1: Um, Was there anything on you? Um, Nothing really. I would say um, just in light of our conversation, um, Mm -hmm. in light of just our, um, I guess, uh, what's going on in in America right now and and this season. um, Yeah, I would say really dig in to being a good member of your local church. Like really, Mm -hmm. like more than the causes, more than uh your um your work more than i mean just anything else like your local church is the representation of god's kingdom on earth Hmm. right so i mean jesus says in matthew 16 (laughs) i should know that i'm a pastor i think it's matthew i think it's matthew 16 um That you know, on this rock I will build my church. He's talking about talking to Peter, right? And then he talks about whatever Mm -hmm. you bind in heaven will be uh, will be bound in or or whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, Mm -hmm. right? And that and he's talking about the keys of the kingdom, and he's Mm -hmm. saying basically like, as members of your local churches, you're you're saying that like, oh, you you have a key, right? And you you can exercise discipline. You can tell who's in or who's out, Um, and this is really important because. when what happens a lot in churches is is that people think church is or christians i should say not even just people but specifically christians uh it's so easy if you're living in a place like maybe atlanta or dallas um where there are just churches everywhere like it's really easy Mm -hmm. to just move from one church to another um it's really easy to just like and especially now even more so now because we're quarantined and not everybody's able to go out to their church and gather together physically um, it's so easy to just kind of like skip over to another church watch their live stream and watch this person's live stream And uh, you know and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. And I would I would say don't do that Like dig in deep into the the church that you are in and serve that church mm-hmm. um, If you didn't go th- if they don't if they have a formal membership go through it Go through their formal membership go through their classes get baptized if you haven't um, Try to learn the things that that church believes in and honestly, I, I really believe that when you form those things um, uh, the form those things in your heart uh that your church believes in and you're all in like you'll probably have a a bigger impact than just simply going and you know promoting your cause within a church no make your local church make your local church the cause honestly like Mm. be let your local church be the one that guides you and uh supports you and whatever other things that you're doing by investing in your local church by discipling Mm. other people by uh, being just a healthy member of a healthy church you know, um, and yeah, so really that's my, that would be my biggest, um, what is it, uh, my biggest exhortation to anybody who's listening is that if you're, if you're a member of a church, like go all in on your church. Like really just dig in deep on your church. If you're not a member of your church, become a member. And if you're not a member because you're not a Christian, Jesus loves you. He died for you right he uh, uh he died because you're a sinner and you cannot take the punishment of death and hell by yourself and so god sent his son jesus to take that punishment for you so that you could have life in him only by believing in him trusting in him trusting in the work that he's done on the cross for you and he rose again three days later to give you new life and that you could be raised again too so if you're not a christian hopefully you can believe that message the holy spirit moves in your heart to do that mm-hmm. and then uh and then you can be a member of a local church, you know, and then go from there, you know, so that, that would be my last,
0: last exhortation. Yeah. Yeah, That dude, that's so awesome. Um, it's weird because, because churches are more accessible now, Mm -hmm. people are kind of like hanging back. Um, they may know that they can go catch the stream of the, of the service whenever they have time. So people I think are Aren't as invested as before, yeah. so I, I really appreciate, appreciate uh, you, you mentioning that. Mm-hmm. Yes, please go all in on your local church. Yeah. If you if you're a part of SKBC, my church, <laughs> please, uh, yeah, talk to me <laughs> and let's let's keep keep the fellowship going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, Paul, thanks so much for um, coming on. Uh, thanks for that last part too, mm-hmm. um, and the gospel represent the presentation as well. That's, that's so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, if anybody who is not a Christian, heard that, and you're curious about, you know, what Jesus dying for us on the cross is, Mm -hmm. please feel free to message me, or even Paul, I'm sure he would be open to talk to you about that. Um, We would love to walk you through that, and what that really means, and yeah, really, because those are, I mean, the gospel is the guiding factor, like, the guiding thing of our lives, right? So, very important to us, so we would love to talk to you guys about that. Um, Again, Paul, thank you so much for being on. No problem. Um, It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time.